Good morning, everybody. That was a strong thanks be to God. So, tip of the cap. Um, for those who don't know, my name is Rob, and I am the lead pastor here at Citizens. And it is good to see each of you, and hopefully you appreciated our landscaping out there. I know that coming in, you probably saw several tons of, of mulch. So it's just the joy of church planting. This isn't our facility, so thank you for meandering your way around that. Um, we are super grateful, though. I would like to point out, super grateful to Oakstone for letting us be here. Um, so if you have your Bibles, um, as Tess just read, we are in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, and I invite you to turn there. And as I'm turning there, as we're all turning there, I will um, quote Tony Robbins, great Tony Robbins, the self-proclaimed number one life business and strategy coach in the United States. Here's what he has to say. He says, there is no greatness without passion to be great. There's no greatness without passion to be great, whether it's the aspiration of an athlete or an artist, a scientist, a parent, or business person. He says there's no greatness without passion to be great. Now, I don't know if our boy Tony is a Christian. Uh, to my knowledge, he is not. But if he listens to this sermon later, he's welcome to email me and let me know. But I think, even though he's not necessarily espousing anything explicitly Christian, I think he's on to something. If he is, in fact, the number one life, business, and strategy coach in the United States, as he proclaims himself to be, then he's tapped into something that people recognize. And I would like to to focus on that thing. And it's that we all desire greatness. We all desire greatness. And we all have passions. We all have aspirations. The question is, do our passions and do our aspirations include serving one another? Are we passionate about serving one another? Do we aspire to serving one another? Because we all want greatness, and as we read in the text here, greatness is reserved for servants and for slaves. Greatness is reserved for servants and for slaves. Now, why why is that? Well, it's because the Son of Man, Jesus, came to serve. And he is clearly the greatest thing in all of creation. And if the Son of Man came to serve and is exalted above all other things, then the path to, quote-unquote, greatness is through service. Scriptures say that they'll know us by our love for one another. And love manifested, love lived out, looks like service you love somebody, you are eager to serve them and to do what is best for them. And so we are, as um, we've been in the book of Mark, and the theme that we continue to see in the book of Mark is that it's God restoring his wayward people. And if you are still looking for this book in your Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's about three-fourths of the way through, and you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the second book of the New Testament. And just for a little bit of context, this is the man, John Mark, who is writing to new believers in the Rome area. They were previously non-Jewish, non-believers, and now they are non-Jewish or Gentile 
believers, and they are under the persecution of the emperor who is Nero, the man who is infamous for persecuting Christians. And so that's who this book is written to. And we've said that in chapter 10, we've kind of seen a ratcheting up of the um, in, intentional teaching by Jesus of what discipleship looks like. He's getting closer to the cross. He's inching his way closer and closer. And so he's recognizing that his time is less and less with these individuals, these disciples. And he wants to make sure that they understand what it looks like to follow him faithfully when he is no longer physically in their presence. And so we saw him early on in chapter 10 talk about marriage and divorce. He spoke on children and then what it looks like to be faithful with wealth and material possessions. And now today, he talks about our attitude toward one another. How do we view one another? He knows that in our fallen nature, we try to be great. And he knows that's what we're naturally inclined toward. And if, apart from him, we're going to try to find it in all kinds of sinful and fleshly and worldly ways. So he points out to them what it does it look like to be great in the kingdom of God. Now the Pillar New Testament commentary titles this section, Self-Serving Sons of Zebedee and Self-Sacrificing Son of Man. Self-Serving Sons of Zebedee and Self-Sacrificing Son of Man. So I'm just going to steal those two things. And we're going to look at the self-serving sons. We're going to look at the self-sacrificing son. And then we're going to see some glimpses of the kingdom. So before we get into each of those, let's pray. Lord, come before you and we are grateful to be able to gather in this place. We're grateful to have your word, to have access to it what you have commanded of us, what you want us to know about you. We are grateful that you have delivered this to us most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. We ask that he would be magnified this morning in the preaching of your word, in the listening of your word. We pray that you would help us to see the gospel clearly and to Embrace it in every aspect of our lives. Father, you know that on Sundays we try to pray for other churches. Lord, this morning we pray that you would raise up new churches. Lord, we are grateful for the churches that do exist, that are proclaiming your word here in Westerville, here in Columbus, throughout the country, throughout the world. We pray for more. Lord, plant more churches Thank you for the way that you have blessed this church plant, but God, we ask that we are not unique, but that you would raise up more church plants here in Westerville, in Columbus, and across the country and world. God, we pray for churches that are feeling like they're getting ready to shut their doors. The last year and a half has been very difficult for many churches. We ask for endurance them. We ask for faithfulness that they would continue to proclaim the gospel. Lord, provide revitalization in many of these churches. Send pastors to go to revitalize churches, to plant churches. Lord, we want to see churches raised up. We know that 
your will will be accomplished, but we also are grateful that it is through the, your people, the church, that you would choose to accomplish your will. And so we ask that you would raise up new churches and revitalize churches that have been struggling. As Luke said, we are also prayerful for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Protect them. Provide them with food and shelter. We ask that for those who are trying to get out of the country, that you would provide a way for them to get out. We ask also for those who are choosing to stay. We pray for their physical protection. We pray for their boldness in the face of persecution. God, we pray also for Haiti, experiencing the 7.2 magnitude earthquake. Lord, there's been tons of damage, destruction, loss of life. We pray that you would restore electricity to hospitals, that you would help that nation recover or show us what we can do. And God, we take this moment to, to lament the fact that we are in a broken and fallen world, and we see that very explicitly. We've seen it this past week with Afghanistan, with Haiti, and those are just two examples, and there are countless more. God, we are in a broken and fallen world, and we look forward to your kingdom coming back, for you to come back and establish it fully. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. I'm pretty sure that screaming baby's mine, so I'll just go ahead and uh, apologize ahead of time. So the, the first point that you see in your bulletin is self-serving sons. So we see two sons right now. We see James and John. Now, each of these individuals, James and John, are the sons of a man named Zebedee. We learn about these two early on in Matthew 4, where they're fishing. Their dad has a fishing business. They're helping with him. Um, And Jesus calls them out of this fishing business to follow him. In Mark 3, they're known as the Sons of Thunder. I would love to know how they got that nickname. But the are brothers of Zebedee who owns a fishing business. They have a nickname of Sons of Thunder. James, this is not the brother of Jesus. James, this is a different one. You'll, as you read through the New Testament, you'll recognize there are a few Jameses. So this is not the brother of Jesus. This is the son of Zebedee, also known as James the Greater by some church historians. And then John... This is the John known as the beloved disciple, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, the one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the book of Revelation. So those are the two characters that we see early on in this passage, and these are also two of Jesus' three closest companions. So throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus has his 12, then he also has his three, and those three, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And... Peter is not listed here, but James and John, part of this inner circle, are now getting ready to make a very bold request as part of the inner circle, thinking, hey, if anybody can ask this, surely it's us. And so they make a big request. They go up to Jesus, and we see in verse 35, they say, do whatever we ask. Do for us whatever we ask you, which is already revealing their hand a little bit. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do Say say yes to whatever I'm getting ready to ask. You're probably thinking, okay, this is uh, going to be a fairly big request. They're probably not going to say, like, hey, just could you hold my bag real quick? (laughs) That's not not the request that's coming. And so they're asking, do whatever we ask. Go up to your parents when you're young and say, hey, mom, dad, just say yes. 
just say yes. Whatever I'm getting ready to say, just, just say yes. I'm going to go hang out with some friends. You're going to say yes, right? That's what they're doing, right? Asking Jesus to, to essentially write a blank check. They just write this check, sign it, just be okay with whatever we put right there on the line. And so what they ask, this big request you see in verse 37, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Now this right hand and left hand, you you hear about the right hand of God often as you read through scripture. So just a little bit of background on that. Jewish custom was that whoever was the number one of the group, whoever was the person of authority in the group, would either be at the front of the pack or in the middle. And so the person who's at the right hand was considered the number two, and the person at the left was considered the number three. And so when they're marching toward Jesus, his teaching is getting more and more intentional. They recognize they're going to Jerusalem. They think that there's going to be an overthrow of the government, and Jesus is going to take his place on the throne. And so they're thinking, this is our opportunity. We are on our way to Jerusalem. Jesus is marching ahead. We just talked about that last week, how he goes ahead of the disciples and ahead of the crowd. And James and John start scooting right up and start whispering in his ear, hey, do for us whatever we ask. We want to sit at your right hand. We want to sit at your left. We're almost to Jerusalem. We know, we know you're going to overthrow the place, and this is going to be a real fun thing. We want to be at the right and at the left. Okay, you're cool with that, right, Jesus? And so John Stott wrote about this request. He said, the brother's request is surely the worst, most blatantly self-centered prayer ever prayed. It's an encouraging thing to be told about your request of Jesus. The worst most blatantly self-centered prayer ever prayed. They are seeking status. And they're using Jesus to get it. They're seeking status. And they're using Jesus to get it. And we, if we're honest, like James and John, are naturally self-serving. We're naturally status seekers. We naturally want to want positions of prominence. Someone asks you to do something, how can this, how can this opportunity serve me? Whether we say it out loud, the opportunity, the, that thought process is often going through our minds. Alistair Bagg, in commenting on this, said the mentality or spirit of James and John is alive and well today. The mentality or the spirit of James and John is alive and well today. And John Stott continues talking about this. He says that the world and even the church is full of Jameses and Johns, go-getters, and status seekers, hungry for honor and prestige, measuring life by achievement, and everlastingly dreaming of success. These individuals are aggressively ambitious for themselves. These individuals are aggressively ambitious for themselves. And I'd like to provide a caveat, I like to do this often. There is nothing wrong with being ambitious. There's nothing wrong with being successful. The point that is being driven home here is who are you doing it for? Is it for yourself or is it for the glory of God? James and John were coming up to the Son of Man and they're trying to use him to gain glory for themselves, to gain prominence for themselves. So this morning a question that we can ask ourselves is are we preoccupied with self? Are we ambitious for self? Do we prioritize ourselves 
over others? Are we willing to serve others? Are we willing to lay our lives down for the sake of others? Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Are we more aware of our social media numbers than we are the needs of our neighbor? Are we more aware of Ohio State's schedule than we are of a prayer request of a brother or sister? And don't get me wrong, that's coming from a guy who's very excited for September 2nd to roll around, all right? Eager for the Buckeye season to kick off. But are we more preoccupied with that? Are we more concerned about that than we are our brothers and our sisters in Christ? Christians, some ways that you're able to serve others. This this morning, this passage is a lot about laying down your life, as Jesus did, for the sake of others. So one way, or several ways, that we can serve one another simply by praying for one another. We want to be a church that is rich in prayer, that knows the needs of one another, that knows what we're going through, knows how to pray for each other. Another way is that we can check in. And this is easy, just shoot, shoot a text. Sometimes I, I'll just put a little reminder in my calendar. Someone will say something, I'll go, oh, okay, let me punch this reminder in. And then when time comes around, they think I'm really thoughtful because I've reached out, and in reality, my calendar told me, so don't give too much credit. <laughs> my memory's terrible. But just an easy way, check in. Ask how, how they're doing. Additionally, you can, you can meet up. Meet up for coffee, meet up for a meal. This last Wednesday morning, I was meeting with somebody at the Pancake House, like arguably my favorite spot to go. And I'm sitting there and we're talking and in walks Connor. I'm like, what in, in the world? Like, we're not supposed to meet. And he said, no, no, I'm meeting with Ben. Like, okay, great. So they sit in the booth, a couple down. And then shortly after that, Wes walks in. This is at like 6.30 in the morning. Wes walks in, acts like he's going to sit with me, which makes me think that I had a meeting with him and totally forgot about it. But thankfully he was just messing. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm meeting with June. <laughs> and, and soon enough, the whole restaurant was filled with us meeting. None of us knew that it was happening, but we're just taking intentional steps to, to meet with one another, to check in, to see how we're doing. And the women in our community group have a uh, breakfast next Wednesday. So encouraged to see that that's taking place. And I think the women in general are having a breakfast at the beginning of September. But I love that we're getting together and we're checking in on one another because that is a way that we can serve each other. It's just by making time in our schedules for one another. The way that Jesus did. Jesus had tons of meals with his disciples and with sinners and tax collectors. So to, to let others take some space on your calendar is a way that we can serve them. And a real easy way to do this, just you can check all these off. Just by being at church, following Hebrews 10. When you're here, you can, you can check in. How can I pray for you? You can get a meal together. You can talk with one another. It's just a way to kill all kinds of birds in one stone. And that's not a, a pitch to try to grow numbers or something like that. The Lord will build his church, Matthew 16. Okay, We're not worried about that. But it is a way, it is a command for us to be together. And while we're here, be intentional with your time here to check in with your brothers and sisters. Parents, you have the opportunity to teach your children the value of serving others. One of the primary ways that we do that in today's culture is simply by being hospitable. Invite people over. 
It's one of the, the best ways that you can serve them. And then church, let's be careful not, and this is really tempting, not to engage in quote-unquote ministry for the sake of gaining status. It's easy to engage in some type of service to love our neighbor in some way just so that we can get photos for it to post on social media to make ourselves look good. And not that posting on social media is bad. I'm not trying to throw any, anybody or any church under the bus. But what's our primary motivation? Is it to be self-serving or is it to serve others? So contrary to the self-serving sons that we see with James and John, we now get a response from the self-sacrificing son. Look with me in verse 38. We see Jesus say, you do not know what you are asking. You do not know what you are asking. They just asked to be at his right hand and at his left. He's saying, look, guys, you don't, you don't know the implications of that. You don't really know what you're asking. And how often do we, like James and John, ask God for something and not really know what we're asking for? I can't tell you how many prayer requests the Lord did not answer of mine in the way that I wanted him to answer it. And it was for by none or bar none is for the better. There was, there was a show when I was younger, and I can't even tell you the name of the show. It was one of those ones that came and went real quick. But it was about dinosaurs, right? And they showed a baby dinosaur, and I thought it was, like, the cutest thing. So nine-year-old Rob is, like, praying and begging God that he would give me a baby dinosaur in heaven. (laughs) I can only imagine him shaking his head that you don't know what you're asking. There's so so much more for you. I so badly wanted this baby dinosaur, and I don't think I'm going to get it. (laughs) So when God says no, when God says no, bear in mind that it is is because he is kind and because of his love for you, not because he wants to withhold good things from you. It's because of his kindness and his love towards you. And so he continues on in verse 38. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Now, this is a rhetorical question. He's asking, are you able to do this? Are you able to drink the cup I drink? Are you able to be baptized in the baptism I'm about, I'm about to be baptized with? Rhetorical question. The answer should be no. No, we're, we're not able. Uh, we, we talked last week about what the cup is, how it's the, the cup of God's wrath, metaphorically speaking. You see throughout the Old Testament, Nations that went astray, they metaphorically speaking, drank from the cup of God's wrath as he brought judgment upon them. And now Jesus, heading toward the cross, knows that he is about to drink the cup of God's wrath that is reserved for sinners. And Jesus asks these disciples, James and John, are you able to drink this? Even Jesus, in, in Matthew 26, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked the Father, if there's any way, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He knows what he's getting ready to do is going to be unbearable. And that cup of God's wrath is reserved for those who are not in Christ. If you are not in Christ this morning, then that cup is full. The cup of God's wrath is being reserved for you. But if you are in Christ, then that cup has been emptied on your behalf. And then Jesus, he doesn't only talk about a cup, but he also talks about a baptism. So what is he getting at with this? We mentioned the cup. Now we're mentioning the baptism. 
the James, James Brooks in the New American Commentary says, here the word, the word baptism, does not refer literally to Christian baptism, but metaphorically to being immersed in calamity. Being immersed in calamity. Jesus is getting ready to drink the cup of God's wrath, and in doing so, he's going to be immersed in calamity. The rejection and the punishment that we deserve, he is going to be washed over with. He's going to take on. He's going to be immersed in. And so Jesus says, are you able to participate in this suffering? Are you able to participate in this sacrifice? And James and John clearly don't understand what he's getting at. And so they boldly and arrogantly say, we are able. And so Jesus responds, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. So Jesus knew that they could not experience what he was getting ready to experience. However, he did know that they were going to bear some sacrifice and they were going to be immersed in some calamity of their own. And as we read through the book of Acts, we read that James was killed by the sword by Herod Antipas, very likely beheaded. So he experienced calamity. His body too was sacrificed for the sake of his faith. And then John was exiled to the island of Patmos to live in isolation for the rest of his days. So each of these individuals, Jesus knew, was, were going to experience some calamity, but it wasn't going to be on the same measure that Jesus did on their behalf. So what we see in this passage here is that Jesus, the most prominent being in all of creation, has come in order to serve as a sacrifice. We see two individuals, James and John, seeking prominence, and they're trying to use Jesus to get there, and the very person they're trying to seek prominence from is the most prominent being in all of creation, and he is coming to serve as a sacrifice. And so he explains to them what it means to be great, which is where we get some kingdom glimpses, the third point in your bulletin. So these disciples being self-seeking are then met with the other 10 disciples who are upset that they would try to seek prominence without including them in it. Now, commentators will point out that that is showing that the other 10 disciples weren't necessarily more righteous, but that they were also wanting to have that status. And they were frustrated that James and John tried to use this opportunity to get there before them. And so they're upset because they're left out of the prominence that James and John are seeking. And James and John's initiative only had themselves in mind. So these other 10 are now upset. Hey, yeah, that was kind of selfish. You're seeking prominence without us. Like, what, what gives? Come on, we're all going to Jerusalem together. And so they're upset. And so Jesus says this in verse 42. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. So let's stop there. Jesus is giving a small glimpse into man's kingdom. He says, look, you know here on earth that the rulers rule. They don't serve. The slaves and the servants serve. The rulers rule. And in man's kingdom, great means exercising authority. So if you're great here on earth, that means you've got a lot of authority. And you're able to rule it over people. 
Jesus continues in verse 43. He says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Notice that Jesus is not making a request. He's not saying, look, in my kingdom, I don't want it to be like that, so, so please serve one another. We don't want to be like the fallen world. We want, to, we want to be different. So rather than ruling over one another and exercising authority over one another, let, let's try to serve one another. He's not saying that. It's not a request. It's a statement. He says, if you are in the kingdom, then you will serve. Then you will serve one another. Jesus says, if you are great, then you must serve. If you serve, you're great. If you are a slave, then you'll be first. So it's very paradoxical. It's different than how it is here. Here we consistently try to gain promotions wherever we work. And that, again, not trying to say that's a, a bad thing, but as you gain promotions, you gain authority. You gain ruling authority. You're able to exercise it over people, and that's how we recognize who is great within an organization, within a government. We look at the president, and we think he has a lot of authority. If he were to come in and say something, then it would bear a lot of weight. And so that's how man's kingdom works. But the way that God's kingdom works, Jesus says, if you are in the kingdom, then you will serve. To be great is to be a servant, which is the, the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get the term deacon. And so deacon, yes, absolutely, an office of the church. We see that in 1 Timothy. Now, it's also just a descriptor of all Christians in general to be servants. If one is a deacon, that means they're a lead servant. They're a deacon within the church. So all Christians are called to be diakonos, deacons, to be servants, because at the end of the day, that's who Jesus is. If we are in Christ, who is the greatest servant, the greatest one who came to serve, if we are in him, then we'll be, a, we'll be characterized by service. You can't be in Christ, the great servant, and not be willing to serve. Does that make sense? And so we are servants because that's who Jesus is. We see it in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A term ransom means a required payment. So every month, we have a required payment for our house, mortgage. All right, it's not a fun thing to pay, but when I pay it, I know that they're not going to get in touch with me at least for another month, so it feels good. Now, Jesus comes to serve as a payment, but he comes to serve as a final payment. So our house is not paid off, but if I got notice all of a sudden, that our house has been paid in full, I know that I would not receive any more requests from the mortgage company requiring payment. And so Jesus, if he has come to serve as a ransom for many, and he is the final sacrifice, the final payment, the final ransom, then what that means is that as you fall, as you sin, we all sin, there is no more payment required from you. We talked about it last week. There are times where I will fall, where you will fall, where we will beat each other up personally. Like, oh, man, I, I, need to, I need to feel bad about it a little bit longer. Or I need to kind of wallow in my sin for a little bit. 
before I go on business as usual. Jesus being the final ransom, the final payment, means that you do not have to beat yourself up. Yes, still, still repent. Yes, still pursue righteousness. But don't set your bar for forgiveness higher than what God's is. I said that last week, we'll repeat it again. It's easy to do that because the gospel is such good news. It almost seems too good to be true. It's not. So Jesus, being a man, was born into man's kingdom. But as we look at the person and work in the life of Jesus, we see glimpses of God's kingdom. We see God's kingdom come to man's kingdom. And Jesus' whole life, as we look at it, is about serving others. So if you are in Christ, you too will serve sacrificially. Because the kingdom that we're naturally inclined to build does not look like the kingdom of God. It just doesn't. And so Jesus coming as a, a man, fully man, also fully God. So he's able to enter into man's kingdom and show us what God's kingdom looks like. Give us glimpses of it. So this morning, as we hear the call to serve the way that Jesus does, as we see Jesus' life laying it down sacrificially for his people, we as followers of Jesus too are called to service. Now I promise you, that's going to look messy. It's not going to be uh, easy. It's not going to be super Instagram worthy. It's going to be messy and it's going to be difficult and Satan will try to convince you not to participate in it. He'll provide you with reasons, some of which you're not ready or that maybe you'll serve after this season of life. This just isn't a good season. We'll say maybe there's just not really a need. It seems like somebody else is serving there. That, that area is taken care of. Or maybe it's just not your gifting. Satan will provide various excuses for you not to step into sacrificial service the way that we are called to. And if all those excuses don't work, then you can count on it. Satan will try to convince you that your motives are wrong. I've heard somebody say that if Satan can't convince you to not do something, then what he'll do instead is try to convince you that your motives are wrong in doing it. Do not listen. Step into self-sacrificial service. And as you serve one another, bear in mind that it will not be easy. It will be a mess. It won't look super clean. But it's worth it. So back in um, early 20th century, there was a man called Ignis Paderewski. And he was a world-famous pianist. And he actually, in 1919, became... Uh, the Prime Minister of Poland as well. And he signed the Treaty of Versailles to um, end the First World War. And so this famous, world-famous pianist was well-known to a mother, to the whole world, but a mother and her son. She was trying to teach him to play the piano. And he was learning, and one of the things she wanted to do was take him to a, a concert of Ignis Paderewski so that he could see this master at work. And so they go, and they found their seats toward the front. And the mother pointed out the piano to the young son. Said, look at that, look at that amazing piano. That is a majestic Steinway. 
piano. I don't know anything about pianos, so I've got to look and see what, what it is here. It's a, it's a Steinway piano that today would be valued over $150,000. Very expensive piano. And so she points up to him, look, look at that thing, it's amazing. And then she finds a friend, they're, they're talking, and then the show's getting ready to start. She can't find her son. Where, where did my son just go? And as the show begins to start, she notices her son is now up on stage sitting at the piano. And he's pecking away at Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And she starts to gasp, starts to freak out. And before she can get up to her son, the master himself, Ignis Paderewski, had stepped onto the stage. And he comes up behind the boy. And he whispers in his ear, says, don't quit. Keep playing. And he, on his left hand, adds in some bass, twinkle, twinkle. And then he wraps his other right hand around the, the boy and adds a running melody. And Twinkle Twinkle, Little Star, better than you've ever heard it, is being played for the whole concert and the whole audience, and they're mesmerized. And in the same way, we, as we try to stumble and trip and fall our way into what self-sacrificial service looks like, it's going to look messy. But through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God is going to come alongside us and say, don't quit. Keep going. He will empower us. He will lead us into what it looks like to be a faithful body of believers who are joyfully serving one another. And so because the Son of Man, because he came to serve as a sacrifice, to sacrificially give of himself, we too, as members of his kingdom, must serve one another. That is the call on each of our lives. And so this morning, what is your heart toward serving one another? Is it begrudging? Is it reluctant? Is it willing but not terribly excited? Is it joyful? Is it passionate? We talked about passions and aspirations at the beginning of this. Could you say that you have a passion and aspiration for serving one another? If so, praise God. That is amazing. But I would also say you're probably in the minority. Sometimes I don't have a, a big joy to serve others. Just recognize that that's our natural inclination. But we must fight against it must be willing to, to give of ourselves. One commentary said that the reason why a servant is the most preeminent position in the kingdom of God is that the sole function of a servant is to give. And giving is the essence of God. We see this in the fact that he gave his only begotten son. Gave him freely, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, out of love. And he gave him, as the text says, as a ransom for many to pay our debt. Recognize this morning that when he says it's a ransom for many, he did not say it's a ransom for all. If you are in Christ, then you have been ransomed. It is finished. But if you are not a believer this morning, glad that you're here. But hear that your punishment has not been paid for if you are not in Christ. So I would encourage you to repent of your sin, to believe on the Lord Jesus and trust that all of your sins have been paid for in him. Psalm 49 verse 7 says, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. No man could ransom himself. 
the cost is too much. But then in verse 15 of Psalm 49, just a few verses later, we read, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. God came as a man, entered into man's kingdom, so that he could serve sacrificially. The greatest being in all creation came to serve. So therefore, if you are in Christ, we too are called to serve. He gave himself for all who would repent and believe the gospel. And all who are willing to lay themselves down and to embrace Christ, he will make great. Let's pray. Father, come before you and grateful for this plan of salvation that has been accomplished in Christ Jesus. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for coming alongside and helping us as we trip and fall, as we try to serve others. Holy Spirit, continue to empower us to do this well. Lord, when we fall short of that, we pray that we would show one another grace. We pray that we would look to you, look to your grace. God, we are grateful for Christ's sacrifice, that all of our sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for in him. Thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing this on our behalf. We ask this, or we pray this in your name. Amen.